0: All right, so new series this morning, yeah. and uh, for those of you who are watching, you or, or I guess been with Cornerstone for a while, you know that a roundtable type event is, is not uncommon for us. Uh, it's a little awkward here in our living room, the way we've set it up, so bear with us a little. Jeremy's got to do some technical things as well, controlling your answers and, and, and graphics and speaking all at the same time, so be patient with us. Uh, we, we expect you to be challenged, first of all. Uh the next, the next four weeks are not intended to be uh, discussions where you can turn your brain off. Yeah. Uh, you have to really be engaged and think about what we're saying. Pastor Jeremy's asked you this morning to text in an answer. Yeah, we're, we've got a lot of right, so lot answers. <laughs> what story is the Bible teaching? This, yeah. you know, what is the story of the Bible? But further than that, you have that same text flow now. As we teach this morning and over the next few weeks, if you have questions, text your questions. Yeah.
1: So just as a reminder, that number is 817-809-3040 and uh, you'll want to use this number, go ahead and write it down because we're not going to be able to you know, put it up here the whole time. So uh, write the number down if you have a question, we probably won't be able to get to it today um,
0: but we can work it in the next few But it'll few
1: weeks. help uh, develop some content to know where you yeah. guys are headed. So write this number down,
0: 817-809-3040, texting your questions there. So we believe the Bible is telling a story. Yeah, It is, it is a piece of literature, and uh, it, it has a story to tell. Sometimes we get so down in the weeds. Uh, sometimes we get so down into the subplots and the, the substories and into the plagues, and into the hail, and into the Ten Commandments, and into the poetry, and into the narratives, that maybe we miss the big picture. And that's really what we want to talk about this morning. What is the big story, the big message that the Bible is trying to tell? And you have to remember that the Bible, the big book, is comprised of 66 other books. It is a book of books. And those books uh, are not only... Written by different authors, they're different types of literature. Right. Uh, so the Bible, for example, has poetry, yeah. poetical books, which are Psalms, Proverbs, Job. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that's what they are. You could, they're obviously poetical writing songs and poems, and but yet they tell a story. Right. They fit into this narrative. Uh, some of the books are uh, historical books. Mm-hmm. Uh, some. Especially in the Old Testament, we have a lot of historical books.
1: We even have like Acts in the New Testament. That just history you know, it's of, a good the new of the New Testament new church. History yeah. of
0: the apostles. Yeah. This is what the Acts. This is what they did. Um, some of those Old Testament historical books, like uh, Chronicles, volumes one and two, uh, Kings, volumes one and two. They're history books of the kings of Israel, and uh, they they tell a story of Israel. But the story of Israel fits into a bigger story, that's what we're saying, of the whole Bible. Yeah. The poetry tells a story, but it tells a bigger story than just, you know, uh, of that. Um, there are people stories, biographies and people stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, New and Old Testament yeah. have people stories. Uh, Ruth. Uh, Esther. Uh, Ezra. Uh-huh. Nehemiah. um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Joshua's, I think, labeled as historical, but it tells his History, story. yeah. Yeah. So there's people stories, then the New Testament people stories.
1: No, just the gospel accounts, right? Just the biography
0: of Jesus. The story of Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so they tell a story, but it fits into a, the story of Jesus as a man, fits into the bigger story of the whole Bible mm-hmm. in a particular way. The story of Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the temple, exiles, Coming out of exile, I think you're going to preach a whole series on that one day soon here for us, but it it fits into the bigger story of what the Bible is trying to say in a big macro 30,000-foot picture. So when you bring all of those different uh, different accounts and writings and authors and subplots together, what is the overarching story that the Bible is trying to tell? I bet we've got some examples this morning. Yeah, and
1: actually, I'm I'm really excited about these because there's a lot of really great answers. Uh, we've got lots of lots of things about God's redemptive pursuit, is how, how one person said it. His okay. redemptive pursuit of corrupt human race. Um, another one says the Bible's telling the story of God's plan and destiny for our lives by explaining our history, our need for Christ, and the open door of redemption. Okay. We've got uh, it's the story of God's creation and His plan for our lives, including His love for us. We've got the story of redemption and God's glory, the story of God's love and plan for us to show His grace and truth. Uh, we've got the Bible is God's divine and redemptive love for those who create who are created in His image, in light of their failure to bear His image well. And oh fully. wow!
0: Somebody's reading yeah. on sermon notes yeah. this morning.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and there's there's just so many more,
0: so many great answers this morning. Right. So. We bring all of this up because one of the things that we have been seeing, the reason we wanted to do this series, one of the things that you and I have been seeing as we try to coach other churches, Mm -hmm. and even as we look back on our old sermon notes from years past, we see that maybe we haven't articulated some things correctly or been precise enough in our language. That's something, Mom, you and I have talked about a lot. We've been too generalized in some of our language, and the danger of that is it can be misleading. Uh, if people don't know exactly what you're saying and you're too generic in your language, then what happens is Christianity begins to develop the idea that the Bible is teaching Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that my sins could be forgiven and I could go to heaven to live with Jesus for eternity. And that is not the story of the Bible.
1: Well, and who is the hero in that? Story? In that story, that story is centered around me, which is not not the case. The Bible is not about me. Right, I'm not the hero of the Bible.
0: So, would it surprise you to know that the story of the Bible is not that Jesus came to be crucified on the cross, was buried, and rose again, so that we could have the hope then of going to heaven to live with Jesus? For all of eternity. Uh, Let me say it another way: the story of the Bible is not about you going to heaven for eternity. Not as you are envisioning it right now. That is not the story the Bible is telling. The Bible is telling a different story. The story that the Bible is telling is a story of creation, Genesis, and a story of recreation as we wind up the New Testament. Well,
1: this, is, this is just like, it's so it's such a constant theme throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's even the bookends of the Bible, right? Like Genesis opens up with, in the beginning, God did what? Creating. He created the heavens and the earth. And then you go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation, where it says, and he who seated on the throne said, behold, I am now what? Recreating. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this
0: down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Yeah, it's really... Again, I don't want to get into a subplot again, but notice the verse. I'm making all things new. New. I'm not making all new things. Right. I'm recreating them. I'm not creating new. I'm transforming the things that are into new things. Yeah. Uh, I'm not getting rid of you people and find me some better people. I'm going to recreate you people to be better people. I'm not going to get rid of the earth and see if we can do a better earth. I'm going to make this earth renewed. That's yeah. a very, so the Bible is a story about creation and a recreation. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe, David, you want to talk about that just a little bit the, the distinction between the heavens and the earth. Well, right. and,
2: and the whole overarching story that we just talked about
0: centers on these two realities.
2: Uh, heaven and earth are are really two ways to speak about. Uh, domains that exist. Um, we're, we're, we're being really careful with our language on purpose uh, be, because we want to really define it well so that, so that you guys understand what we're trying to say. Heaven is God's domain and earth is human's domain or our domain. Heaven is ruled by God and in heaven he defines what is good and evil and heaven is where God's will is always done. Always. Always, always done. When we think of heaven, though, I think most of us have an idea or a picture in our mind that would probably go back to like Renaissance art or uh, uh, you've mentioned the Louvre before. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's, it's people going way up into the clouds where you get beyond the clouds, beyond the clouds, beyond the
0: planets. Sure. And you get to
2: lay back and we have pictures of of naked baby booties and 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 harps harps and
0: and wings and clouds,
2: all of that. And and that's not quite what the Bible is trying to describe when it's trying to describe heaven. Heaven is both, yes, a domain where God is, but it's also uh, representative of a place where God's will is done. But it's not a specific location that I can just, okay, I can point to where. Here's a map. Right.
0: Heaven is here,
2: X. And if I just get in a rocket ship and fly, I could go there. Right.
0: No, we need to begin to think about heaven as another dimension. Yes. Not a place you could put your finger on on a map and say it's here, but rather it exists in a dimension that is near us, but yet
2: inaccessible
0: in in our current state. Correct. Yeah. So the Bible uses several terms to describe heaven, several synonyms. Uh, Abraham's bosom, paradise. Mm -hmm. This is kind of an Old Testament Jewish thing, paradise. Uh, uh, Or uh, heaven, uh, I'm trying to think of another another synonym the Bible eternal life, mm-hmm. uh, life to come the kingdom yeah yeah all of those are synonyms for going into God's domain going into right. another dimension where God rules and reigns eternal life uh, his kingdom his my father's house. Right. Uh, uh, and you're thinking like, right, there's a throne of God, and and there's these beings that are everywhere—the angels and beasts and seraphim and cherubim and and things like—and and those who have died in Christ right. would be in that space. Right, they're in His presence, in His presence, in His domain called called heaven. So there's a contrasting place.
2: Yes, and it's not, another space. Now, if we did a little word association, and I said heaven. Probably the first hell. Thing. hell. Exactly. Hell. That's Quickly, the yeah. first good and bad probably pop into all of our minds. But that's not the, 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 the picture that's being painted in Scripture. Rather, the contrasting place is earth. And, and we get that idea because we want to go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 to kind of see what the ideal uh, that God is laying out for us that we see pictured in the Garden of Eden. Um, we see the physical location where humans live overlapping, like you said, with the reality of heaven. And we know that's true because it's a sinless place. We know that God is walking amongst the humans. He's, he's where they are. And so here's, here's where we have to kind of dispense with some of the the language we've used to describe heaven in the past. Yes, it is a, a domain where God exists, but it's also a reality that intertwines with our reality currently um the the base word is talking about the skies
0: so so when i read in the beginning yes god created the heavens plural and the earth yeah now the first use of the term heavens in the bible is not talking about the throne of god right mm-hmm. it's talking about where the birds fly right the at, skies. atmosphere the skies yeah. where the planets exist right that was the first use so in the beginning, when God created, He didn't just at that moment create His own space. He's not about it. talking about what we understand down here, right? Yeah. Skies and earth, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's one use of the word heaven, but there's it's used again a different way. So that's the concrete
2: way uh, of using the word, like like the same way that that cool doesn't. There's a metaphorical way to use the word cool. But it means there's hip. also... Yes, but the concrete version is to talk about something that has a lower temperature. Temperature, yes, mm-hmm. than what you are currently experiencing. Right. The same is true of heavens. Sky is the concrete word, whereas the metaphor is talking about God's presence. Okay, it's where His domain exists.
0: And, and so they use sky, like when they when we talk about heaven. There's this upness. Yes. Yeah. This cloudsness. This this uh, shining starsness. <laughs> shining <laughs> yeah. sun, yeah. radiance, glorify, glorification. Yeah. So they use that metaphor to talk about God because there was no such thing as a, an airplane, right, or, or space travel. That that up was that was God's domain and it's mystical. Yeah. Uh, it's beyond our reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man always desires to go up and high and because it's out of reach. Yeah, right. This is our domain and it's within our reach and and so whenever you're talking about God the the Prepositions will always be up, right? Glorify but it means power, glorify, radiance, authority, beyond our grasp, yes. Uh, exaltation. Yes, that's a good up. One. That's right. Okay. Okay. So we're we're, we're so
2: that's really important to yeah. to spend just a moment talking about what what heaven really is in Genesis, and and again, it's not. It is a domain where God exists, but it's yeah. also overlapping, like we see in Genesis chapters one and two. And God gives this like a specific calling, a specific thing, uh, a special task for the humans to do. We see it in verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So we get a pretty clear <laughs> repetition yeah. over and over and over again of what we were created to be. What which, the original image is image bearers of God. And you've used this phrase, which I really, really like. Uh, we are intended to be angled mirrors. I don't know how you'd angle yeah. it, and but, but the you don't mirror. say yeah. uh, An angled <laughs> mirror. And we reflect God's glory to the world. Correct. As we also reflect the worship of and praise of this world back onto him. Correct.
0: Mm-hmm. We're to be showing this world, this is what God is like. Right. Our lives are to be a reflection of God. Yeah. But then the mirror works both ways. We reflect the praise and worship of creation back to God. Right. So that's the way we like to think about what is our, how were we created to be right. angled mirrors. Yeah. If you can think of your life that way, you begin to get a proper concept of what. Image bearer is the word Genesis. Uh, yes. Moses is using here to write the book of Genesis. He said we are image bearers. Yeah. So there's something about God that we are to reflect to this world. We're to be a reflection of God. Yeah. But we are humans and we are, have an earthly domain. So there's something about being people of the earth yeah. that we reflect something back to God. Right. There's the connection. Right. So, uh,
2: and there, there's an important word in there that we want to kind of talk about. It's not a word we use all the time, mm-hmm. but, but I want to kick it back to you. Could you talk to us about then what, there's a special word called vocation okay. that comes out of this. Idea yeah, because when
0: Adam works. and Eve were put here, when they were created, and, and God placed them here, well, we have to, so what? <laughs> For what purpose? Right. Well, there was a purpose, and they had vocation, mm-hmm. and their vocation uh, wasn't, it was to worship God, and it was to give glory to God, but they had a definite earthly vocation. Right. God said, I put you into this garden, into this paradise, if you would, which is another word for heaven. Put you in this garden uh, to tend it, to keep it, to dress it, yep. to organize it. I'm just keep using metaphors, okay? <laughs> to, take, to put order out of chaos You know, when I was a kid coming up in in Sunday school, of course, I had baggage. You you have to know that. But uh, whenever they portrayed the Garden of Eden, it was always a jungle. I mean, it was always palm trees and and, and fruit hanging and vines and tigers and lions. And that's always the way it was pictured. Okay, and if that, maybe that is what God created. I, I realize that's just an artist's idea. But what God's telling them to do is to take the jungle and turn it into an English garden. With trimmed hedges and roses <laughs> lined up, and tulips lined up and organized by color, yeah. and to take the horses and breed them so that one can pull a plow, and there's a jumping breed and a trotting breed and a plowing. Take the dogs and breed them so we have a nice lap dog, but we have a nice, you know, a uh, 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 mushing dog that can pull the sled, and we have a dog that can can follow a, a, a trail and create all kinds of. Do- take this earth to another level. I've given you ability, name all the animals, mm-hmm. let things bring forth and multiply and crossbreed, fill the earth with people. Why? So they can build roads and bridges, so they can build gardens. I've given you wheat. Now what I want you to do is invent a plow and turn the whole state of Kansas upside down <laughs> and, and let's make oceans of wheat and let's feed the world with it. Yeah. I've given you a vocation. Adam and Eve didn't lay around. right? Pulling on a hookah pipe, <laughs> lounging on a pillow, just waiting for God to show up and talk to them every day. They had a vocation they were engaged in. Mm-hmm. And then the reason this is so confusing, maybe to us, is because Project Eden, yeah. <laughs> Project Creation, didn't get far off the ground in other words, it never got out of Eden.
2: Right. Well, because the intention was always that we would, we would do for God on his terms. We would allow him to define good and
0: evil. And instead, Satan shows up with the temptation right. and Adam and Eve say, you know what? We could, we could be gods, as gods. This was the temptation. We'll have the knowledge he has we'll be able to decide what's good and what's good. We'll make our own rules. Right. And really, idolatry is the ultimate sin. It is, it is our uh, predilection. It is what we default to, idolatry. Yeah. We worship the creation well, yeah. more than the
1: creator. Yeah, all sin is a form a of, form of idolatry.
0: idolatry. It's like yeah. the ultimate thing. And so Adam and Eve, what you have to remember when you're talking about the creation now, Eden, you're talking about heaven on, on earth. That's right. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about heaven, God's domain, God's space, earth, our space, our domain, in the opening chapters of the Bible, they are overlaid just there like is, this. Yeah, there really isn't a distinction. There's nothing
2: to say skies and earth. God
0: is here. Right. He He's walks here. with man. Man walks with God. It, there it is. Yeah. And But what happens when man rebels against God is that somehow it tears yeah. God's space and our space apart right. that sin does. And you have a now. Now where it was heaven on earth essentially, now you have heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. So here was creation. It was made this way. Now sin did something else to us. Now the story of the Bible is: how do we how do we get back to this? Yeah. Heaven and earth have been torn apart. How do we get these two? To sync, to overlay, to connect again yeah. uh, in a new creation.
2: Well, in, in our text messages that came in—it's God's redemptive plan. Absolutely, that is correct. But to what end?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And it is what we're saying. So, here. did
0: God save us so we could go to heaven to be with Jesus forever? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, right. <laughs> that vision of me <laughs> flying away from my body right. to do what? Maybe we'll we'll pull it out some more in a minute, but let's let's talk about heaven. Heaven has uh, its synonyms. Yeah,
1: there's some earthly synonyms. Yeah, like same way, earth has other ways that you could describe it. This
0: present age. This present age is a great one. Shows up in the New Testament a lot. You see the age of sin. The age of sin. And death, right? uh Uh-huh. For God so loved the world. The world, yeah. Yeah. Uh, In the Greek, it's cosmos. So uh, God so loved this creation and these people mm-hmm. that he gave his only begotten son to, rede- to, to, re- to reconnect, yeah. to, to fix creation, yeah. uh, to redeem mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you're reading your Bible, you'll be looking for those, you know, uh, this age, age of sin, the present age, this world. It's talking about earth. Talking about That's our domain, domain. man's yeah. domain yeah. here on earth. And when the Bible opens, God's domain and man's domain completely overlap. Genesis 1, 2, and the opening of 3. But then after 3, it's a very, very different world that the Bible's describing. By the time you get to 4 and 5 and 6, they're describing nothing but the first murder, 4. Uh, the second murder, 4. uh, He lived so many years and died. That's all of chapter 5. And then chapter 6, God saw that the earth had corrupted itself and had descended into chaos where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and only that evil continually.
2: And this is what happens when you misapply vocation is when I try to be like God on my own terms.
0: Define good and evil for myself. Exactly. Humanism or any other ism sure. pulls out of this idea yeah. of we'll figure it out. We don't need God to tell us what's right and wrong and good and evil and what the rules of the game are. Yeah. We'll define the game and the rules for ourselves. Well, welcome to planet Earth. <laughs> this is what you get uh, when yeah. you do it on your own. And it hasn't worked out so good for us in any age where people tried to do it on their own. You have the flood, six, seven, and eight, nine. And when you come out of the flood into chapter 10, you say, okay, man's learned their lesson. Now they'll do it God's way. We started over with a righteous family, Noah's family, repopulated earth. All right, we'll settle down now and we'll do it God's way and try to get this thing patched up. Nope. As soon as you get to chapter 10 and 11, the people said, we will build a tower to heaven. Yes. The implication there is... We're going to be God. We're going to make the rules. We're going to define what's good and evil. God will not tell us what to do. Right. And if God overflowed the earth with water, by cracky, we will build a tower that's higher than the water. Yeah. He won't be able to do this to us again. Yeah. We'll be God. That's what they're saying. Yeah. We're going to rebel yet again against God. Didn't work out so good. Uh, you turn into the kingdoms of Babylon shortly yeah. and one nation rises against nation and crushes it with military might. It's it's never-ending cycle of, elect me, I'll bring peace. Right. And as soon as they get power, no it turns idea. into warfare, bloodshed, famine, and death. Yeah. That's the human story right
2: well, there. And I think this is a lot of why people have put an, an emphasis so much on, okay, well, I need to get out of here and escape to heaven because it, this this feels like hell. This doesn't
0: feel like it's hell how long it's supposed there. to be like. It's suffering and death and famine. See, innately, we know that's not the way it should be. Right. So what Plato said is let's philosophize about (laughs) leaving this place since there's sickness and death and warfare. And this is just a broken shadow of the real world out there. The spiritual world we will fly away to the spiritual world one day where everything will be fine. But that's not the story the Bible's telling.
2: Okay, but... And to play devil's advocate here, because obviously I'm agreeing with you, but, but to play devil's advocate for a moment, I, I see in Paul in the New Testament, he says stuff like, we're citizens of heaven. Yeah, we got that.
0: Okay, so I, that's Philippians. We that? and, and we are the born-again are citizens of heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. Notice that's present tense. Mm-hmm. He's writing to the European mm-hmm. Christians, yeah. people of Philippi, and he's saying, you are, now they were Roman citizens, politically. Right. Uh in the empire, but he's saying to them on a spiritual level, you are right now citizens in heaven from whence we wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so you are citizens of heaven, he's saying. But it doesn't mean you want to fly away to heaven to be, just because you're a citizen doesn't mean you have to go to heaven to be a citizen. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have people living all over the world right now that are citizens of the United States and don't live here. We have citizens of Mexico, Nicaragua, Guatemala living here. Watching Uh,
1: this video. Watching our video. and we welcome you.
0: And what we're we're saying is you don't have to uh, uh, live in a country to be a citizen of that country. And in particular, Paul's writing to Philippi. Let me give you some context here. Mm -hmm. Uh, When when Paul wrote to the Philippians, they totally understood this. Being citizens of Rome, living in northern Greece. Living in another place citizens of another place because what rome did is rome did for example rome would conquer a country conscript the people then to be soldiers and say if you'll form the legion if you'll come and fight for rome now that you're a conquered people we'll give you coin we'll give you money and eventually send you back and give you a piece of land and you can farm the land raise a family and have a peaceful life now that you fought in the wars for rome Mm -hmm. that was very appealing to those men
2: Sounds better than being beat be, to death. Or being, <laughs> right. being enslaved or being beat to death. Right. Yeah.
0: So I fight some battles for Rome, and then I get to go be a politician or a citizen or mm-hmm. a shopkeeper or a farmer yeah. or whatever. Great. So when Rome, for example, marched – so you have the Empire of Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. When it falls, the Roman Empire begins to take over, and and Rome ultimately crushes the Greek Empire. Uh, you know, This is what Julius Caesar wanted to do. He wanted to make it an empire – Senate didn't want him to, stabbed him to death on the Senate floor, said, we'll not have an empire. Caesar names Octavian, his nephew, as his heir. They read the will. Octavian is now named Augustus Caesar. He has, has political aspirations and does exactly what the Rome, Roman Senate didn't want him to do. He becomes the first emperor of Rome. He says, all right, now I've got to crush the, rebel, the those who are rebelling against Rome, which in his context was Mark Antony and Cleopatra. He met them at the Battle of Actium around 31 B.C., I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, in northern Greece, and crushed Mark Antony and Cleopatra's army. Mm-hmm. Mark Antony and Cleopatra flee to Egypt, famous love story, and they commit suicide, okay? Now Augustus Caesar and Rome rules the world, if you would. Mm-hmm. Well, when those legions won like the battle, he didn't say, Augustus didn't say, I want all the soldiers to come home to Rome. It was too dangerous to have all those soldiers with nothing to do on their hands lying about on couches in Rome. They might overthrow the whole empire and kick him off the throne. So what the Roman Caesar did is he says, I want you soldiers to stay in Philippi, for example. You've conquered it. Stay there. And here's what we want you to do. As citizens of Rome, we want you to impose Roman values upon Philippi. Mm-hmm. Roman culture impose it upon Philippi.
2: Angled mirror. Angled mirror the, of Rome. Yeah,
0: yeah. We want you to reflect Rome to Philippi, yeah. Rome to Corinth, Rome to Galatia, Rome to Ephesus, Rome to everywhere yeah. Rome can be.
2: And those in turn back to Rome's glory.
0: Listen, exactly. Exactly. And so when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, you're citizens of heaven. They understood in the same way we are citizens of Rome. We don't have to go to heaven to be citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven right now, living here. In the same way we reflect Rome to our community, Paul is telling us Christ wants us to reflect Christ and heaven to our community. And you know that's true because even when you read further, he talks about the resurrection.
1: Well, so here's a good question. Here's a good question. Okay, so we don't have enough, enough room to really put all the questions up. So really pay attention to the options here. And I'll ask you the question. You can answer for us. What should be our conclusion then about the nature of our citizenship in heaven? Should we think that as citizens of heaven, we are exiles in the world? Should we believe as citizens, we are then colonizing the world? Or are we refugees in the world? Okay. Or are we diplomats representing, representing the kingdom of God?
0: And here's the thing: those statements are all have shadows of truth in them. Yeah, We are a bit refugees, and we are a bit ambassadors for Christ, right. you know, uh, representing the world. But the most true answer of those four answers is that as citizens of heaven, we are here colonizing this world. God's not saying I want you to fly away to the clouds to be where I am. He's saying I want you to reflect me, angled mirror, to your world right now. I want you to impose heaven's values upon Fort Worth, Texas, upon Keller.
1: And This goes back to what you were saying earlier about him making new what is already in creation.
0: So the next verse is this. I will transform, Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now, He ties it right to the resurrection where we were last week. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to transform our bodies. Jesus is the first of the new creation. You, therefore, have the promise of the new creation already living in your life. Paul even says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're to be living out the new creation right now. Now, and this is the point that the Gospels are making about the resurrection. Jesus is risen. Therefore, dot, dot, dot. It's not Jesus is risen, therefore, we all know we can fly away one day. We know that there's life after death. We know that there's really a heaven. Since Christ is risen, okay, just get through this life. It'll be over of it. That's Platonism. Just get through this life So that you can get to the next, and that's where all the real action, that's where the real action is going to happen. And then you can start doing stuff for God in the next life. And this is why we want to talk about this with the church, because we're afraid that Christians are missing their holy vocation right now. If you're waiting to get to heaven to live out all that God wants you to do, you've missed the whole story of the Bible. The game is right now. Mm -hmm. The game is here. It's on planet Earth happening right now, not about sailing away to to a sunnier shore. Jesus has risen. The world has been redeemed. He is the first fruits of the new creation. He's the guarantee of what's going to happen to the rest of us. Therefore, knowing that, what should we do? And that's kind of the message that the Gospels are telling into the book of Acts and the Pauline epistles. Uh. Really, after his resurrection, uh, he he appeared to the disciples. Remember what he said, in Matthew twenty-eight: All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Mm-hmm. So the risen Christ is standing here with us in the room, saying, "I have been given all authority in God's space yes. and in your space." Yeah. Heaven and earth. And right now, I'm starting to connect them. Because I'm bridging the gap between heaven and earth. I am the first fruits of them that slept. And I'm bringing my authority down to earth. And I'm giving it to you. All authority is given to me and in heaven and earth. So here's what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. He's asking us to act as if we were already in resurrected bodies under the authority of Jesus Christ. And again, his authority isn't just in heaven. Right. He's in charge right now as Lord of this world already. Yeah. Right. It just hasn't fully played out yet. Sure. That's the mystery to us. Yeah. So these verses are very familiar with us, to, to, to our congregation. Yeah. All authority is given to me uh, in, in heaven and earth. And what he's saying is, I'm going to, I want you to do something. Therefore, mm-hmm. so let's pull the people again. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, what it means for Jesus to have authority on earth is for his disciples to do what? First choice to make war upon the nations. Now,
0: Old Testament kind of sounds like that.
1: I mean, you look at the Crusades. <laughs> yeah. Some, Crus- some, some people took it this way because yeah. they
0: interpreted it this way. Yeah. Exactly. So
1: this is. I mean, it feels the Spanish
0: Inquisition.
1: Yeah. So it feels like a wild answer, but it has it's been a historic. Based- interpretation of the text, uh, to make war upon the nations, <clears throat> to impose Jesus' worldview on their neighbors, mm-hmm. again, a very historic yep. interpretation of this, to colonize the earth by making disciples of the nations, or something that I think even in our communities we've been faulted for, a retreat from the world into
0: communities of faith. Okay, leave that on the screen because I think D is not the right answer, but no. D is the most lived out answer in this current age. Yeah. I think the majority of people who are Christians have interpreted the scripture. Authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, let's retreat into communities of faith. Yeah. Let's meet for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, right. and uh, wear Christian T-shirts and bumper stickers once in a while, and you know maybe pray at the flagpole and and maybe. But, but largely, most of the Christian activity happens within the walls of the church, yeah. in our community of faith, and we're not imposing anything upon... on. The, there, you see, this and your previous... And impose your will yeah. and retreat into community of faith. They're kind of opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum. Jesus actually answers the question in the next verse. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. 19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. So our church understands that the mission is making disciples. But now we're maybe giving more context to why that is true. All authority has been given Jesus Christ. Now, the right answer is C. Colonize planet Earth by making disciples And do that based on the authority that Jesus has given you, because all authority is His in heaven and earth. He is now the risen Christ. He has dealt with our sins on the cross. He has dealt with death through the resurrection. He is the first fruits of them, the first person ever to be raised from the dead. So, therefore, it's on. Game is on. The new creation, the bringing back together of heaven and earth, has already begun.
2: Not yet fully realized.
0: But it started. It started. Because of the risen Christ. Yes. And that opens a whole new world of understanding for us. The original project of creation that went so wrong yeah. is now being renewed. We're getting back now to the story coming to its climax now. The story's coming into its real story in this end age now. We're about to see the re-creation part start in the end again. So the goal is re- reuniting heaven and earth. Now, you taught recently, you led this study on the Lord's Prayer. Yes. Yeah. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This is really what the Lord's Prayer is all about.
1: It is. Well, let's just re- read this real quick. So um, Jesus is praying, obviously, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, both on earth as yeah. it is in heaven. Yeah. Right? Um, And so by by establishing it as this, as something that we call God's kingdom into our daily lives, what you're doing is you're um, you're allowing those two domains to reunite as they should. In you. Within within me, within my actions and the way that I live my life. I'm allowing myself to live in a way that not only lives under the authority of Jesus, right? But it's also saying that I have full confidence in his kingdom in heaven that I'm living as though I'm in that kingdom now, which I am. Okay, so you guys are saying new kingdom, new creation. Okay,
2: I, I hear all that. I'm for it all. But where are we now then, currently? Where well, are we now in between heaven and earth? What, 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 is it united? Is it fully united? Is it? Where are we?
0: It's partially united. Okay, It's reconnecting in the lives of those who have been buried with Christ and have been raised again in newness of life.
1: We're holding hands, we're not interlocking fingers. <laughs>
0: okay. Paul, when Paul, yeah. Paul starts talking about baptism in Romans 6, and he's like, you've been buried together, you're risen together in a new life, the new creation is already happening in you too. Now, you don't have your resurrected body yet, but you're to be living already as the angled mirror. Uh, you're to be, again, the prayer doesn't read, Our Father which art in heaven, holy be your name. Get me out of this body as quickly as you can get me out of it (laughs) so that I can go stand on heaven's streets and be reunited with my family and loved ones who have passed and live in bliss forever. The prayer is, Lord, your will be done here. Lord, let your kingdom come here. Lord, help me to be an image bearer right now. Help me to be a kingdom dweller right now. And help me to bring more people into your kingdom. We're praying for your kingdom. We're praying for heaven and earth to be reunited again. Yeah. So you're asking, where are we? Well, heaven and earth are reunited in every believer.
2: So you're saying that heaven is in me.
0: Well, the Holy Spirit's in you. If God is in you, you said heaven is God's space. Right. You're an earthbound creature, a human. That's your space. Yeah. And if you're born again, heaven and earth connect in you. The Holy Spirit, we, now we take this literally, mm-hmm. we believe the Holy Spirit lives in yes. earthen vessels, Paul said, right. lives in us. If God lives in me, his space and my space overlap, at least right here, yeah. or right here, or right, right somewhere <laughs> yeah. here, here somewhere. somewhere here, God's space yeah. and my space, man's space, yeah. have now reconnected. And they've reconnected through what Christ did on the cross, and through His resurrection... Mm-hmm. See, it's not Jesus was resurrected. <laughs> Yay! Uh, you know, sparkler, sparkler. Okay. Seven or eight months, we'll have Christmas. That's not <laughs> what the story's about. The story is Christ has risen from the dead. Yeah. Therefore, He's alive in us. Right. And we are buried with Him through baptism in His death and raised in newness of life. So, baptism is a big deal. Yeah. And we are connected to Christ... And my life is in him and he's in, this is what John was saying, I'm in him and he's in me. We're connected through this personal relationship. Heaven and earth meet right here and 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 and all on your couches and chairs in your living rooms right now. And where we are gathered together, heaven is in a big way. Mm -hmm. That's why on Sunday morning when we're praising and worshiping God and opening the word of God and pray, that's why it feels like heaven on earth. It is. Yes. That's why it feels like a bit of a, a, a rest, respite, respite from the world, yeah. because it is.
2: Because you have a bunch of little, what would you call Hot it? spots okay.
0: is the word I want to use. Okay, uh, Where heaven and earth have connected, yeah. points of contact where yeah. heaven and earth have met, coming together in a powerful way. Yeah. You can feel the moving of the Holy Spirit in the room, we say sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What we're saying is you can really feel the presence of... God, let me say it another way. You can feel heaven. Mm -hmm. You want to know what heaven feels like? It feels like that feeling you have in the middle of a worship service. It feels like God in you, revitalizing you and and re-energizing you. This is the power of the risen Christ. This is the power of God connecting with your humanness. Mm -hmm. Even though you're in a corruptible body, you have the promise of an incorruptible body, but God said... We don't have to wait for heaven. I'm going to come and occupy even this corruptible body right now and I will be with you and I will live live in you. Now, of course, that brings up a whole other set of issues. If I'm a little bit of heaven on earth because God lives in me and you are, what about the people out here that we meet at Costco and Walmart that are not in Christ? How do we How are we to think about or, or how do you think about what we were before Christ? Right.
2: I, I, I'll use a word that I think communicates the idea well. I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, but uh, I think the word zombies. I'm not trying to call you guys who might be watching or what we used to be or whatever, or people that aren't saved, ugly things like that. Because
0: zombie means what to you? What are you trying to say? Yeah, I think
2: of like the Walking Dead TV show or whatever. Yeah. Nasty, grotesque. It's alive, but it's not really alive. Like it, the living, living dead, dead. The living dead.
0: That's what a zombie is. Living dead.
2: Right. And so it's an apt term not to describe their physical appearance, but but it's an apt term to describe the what nature. We are yeah. without Christ. We are dead in our trespasses
0: and sins. In the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. die. So we, we, we. But we know on. they were right. alive they because they had died. a baby a yeah. little bit later. That's right. Yeah. They, they procreatively die.
2: So what death is he actually talking about? Well, he's talking about the separation of relationship that was always intended to be close knit with him in his presence where heaven and earth overlap again, his domain and our domain all together overlapping. And what we experience now, because we don't, we don't see that we have a kind of a separate reality thing going on. What we experience now is kind of a zombie life. And until we come to meet Christ, and it's interesting, Christ says it this way to Nicodemus, Except that you have to be
0: born again. born
2: again. Why does he use that particular phrase? Right. Well, it's because you, you're dead. You're not, you're, you're, you're not alive until you come to know Christ as your personal Savior. So there's something
0: about being connected to God. God yes. is life. Yes. And God is light. Yep. These are kind of the metaphors John is using in the epistle. Yeah. And if you want to experience what life really is, you have to have a connection to God, a relationship yep. with God. Yep. Relationship with him. So we would say there is no eternal life. Yeah, there is no use the word immortality unless you're connected to God in a relationship somehow. That's right. I think Paul, he was writing to Timothy when he said, uh, "God, who alone has immortality, Mm -hmm. uh, is who we should worship." So God, I don't know how to say this. Innately, His own character, He is immortal. Intrinsically intrinsically has life. Right. He He is is the giver of life. He is the very source of yeah. yeah. So when you break a relationship with God, yeah. you may still be drawing a breath right now, but you're the living dead. Mm-hmm. Something yes. spiritually about you has died. Right. You're no, you may have breath in your lungs right now and you may be cognitive, yes. but you're not connected to eternal life. Right. You have to be born again to be connected to eternal life. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus right. Christ to be born again. Well, John, he, he that has the Son... Life. Right. Yeah. He that has not the Son of God doesn't not. have life. You are no connect, you're not yeah. connected to real life. Right. So you're talking about and, humanity as we know it. Go ahead. And well, because of the
2: schism, because of what happens in Genesis chapter 3, we all now inherit that corruptible body. Because we're not linked to life the way that we're supposed to be. And so what we experience now, again, the zombie idea, so, is that we can be renewed in our spirit. But we still have a corruptible body.
0: And that's why Paul and Romans said, who will deliver me from the body of this right. death? a wretched man that I am. He was saved, but the body doesn't do what we want it to do. It still has kind of a mind of its own. Yeah. But it does matter how we try to live. right? Because we're angled mirrors and we're supposed to be reflecting the life of Christ now. So we're talking about, talking about people as zombies. I, I, let, let's just say it a couple of mm-hmm. different ways just so we don't offend the whole world. <laughs> uh... <laughs> even though we think we are fully human, as we are born children of Adam and Eve before our salvation, we're not fully human. We think we're fully human because this is all we know. It's all we've ever seen. You're a human, you're a human, you're a human, you're a human. But in God's eyes, we're not fully human. We're not what He created. He created an Adam and an Eve that were fully human. They had different... Connection. Mm-hmm. They had a different body, immediately
2: maybe, in God's very presence. I mean, without
0: sin, God. they were innocent. Uh, as far as we know, in that relationship, they were incorruptible. As far as we know, mm-hmm. uh, until sin entered into the picture, and then right. death came by sin. That's right. And Paul says in Romans, "Wherefore then, as one man sin, and he talks about really since in, sin was introduced into the first family." Right. We, this is what you articulate, yeah. we're all born as Adam's children, zombies, Zombies. we're the living dead, and we do our own thing, and we rebel against God, and, and it's only when we submit to God, right. and confess our sins, our unworthiness, and receive his gift of righteousness and eternal life, yeah. that we began, we, we that's... That's the entry point to becoming fully human. Now, again, there's one more level to being fully human. Being saved is one of them. Right. Because Christ is already living in me. Right. And I've become that hotspot we'll talk more about next week. But when I get the resurrection body that Jesus has, that's really what true humanity is all about.
2: Well, and Hebrews talks about it, right? Calls Jesus the second Adam.
0: Second Adam. Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's a fitting term. He's the He's the true human. Yeah. This is what God intended for us to be. When we shall see him, we shall be as he is, John said. Your body's going to be transformed, resurrected. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce tries to, again, we don't have language for this, yeah. Right? Yeah. to describe what it means to be more human than you are now. I mean, that concept alone stretches my brain. (laughs) To be more human than I am, it means to be more physically real. My resurrection body will be more real than this More substantial. More substantial. More authentic. More of what God intended than this body I'm in right now. I'm still going to be Bobby Hero. You're still going to be David. You're still going to be Jeremy. But there's going to be more really Mm -hmm. what God intended you to be in that fully... Christ-like in the sense of his resurrected, non-corruptible body. Well, and I
2: think this is why we have to reject soft Platonism or outright Platonism in general within the church. Yeah. Because we we can't, we can't then say... Again,
0: Platonism says...
2: Right. That, uh, yeah, that your body is nasty, that everything that we're experiencing right now is a mere shadow. But I grew up in
0: church, David. This is what they told me in church. Your body is bad. Don't kiss that girl. Don't hold her hand. (laughs) You know, the flesh tends to corruption. You know, mind the rules, obey, obey the the laws we're giving you, obey the rules. The flesh can't, can it? Oh, that wicked flesh. One day you'll get out of this body of flesh and fly away to heaven and everything will be okay. Now, know, right? all,
1: all, all things that we've all been told. Yes,
2: right. and, it, and it rings with some truth. We are supposed to, to live a certain way and, and conduct ourselves, now that we're new in Christ, a certain way. And so we're supposed to deny the urges of our bodies that go against what Jesus is about. But I think the temptation or the, or the, the fallout of that idea is that, okay, well, because my body has all these bad urges... Um, that I need to kind of conform into God's into yeah. God's way of, of doing, well, then it must be bad. Right. And and, th- and that then now goes away from what God calls all matter when he first creates it, which is good.
0: He created and said, this is good. Right. This is good. Matter isn't This bad. is good.
2: He says it over and over. The and creation different.
0: is good. That's right. This, this earth, is earth is good.
2: And so when Plato shows up and says, well, actually, the spiritual realm is where everything real and concrete exists. And this actually, is that's temporary. where you're trying to be. Yeah. And that this is a shadow and this is not good. Um, what we what we are left with then is the idea that maybe death is a,
1: I don't know. Okay, so let's ask. Or, no, let's ask.
0: Okay. This is a question we put in the notes. <laughs> right. Let's poll the people. Sure, yeah. yeah.
1: So, I just got
0: shocked. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> okay, um, so the question then is, which of the following statements represents a Pauline under... So, oh, a. The Paul. Apostle Paul so Paul's Pauline, right. He
0: wrote most of the New Testament. Yeah, a so.
1: Pauline understanding of death. Which one of these is most accurate of his understanding? One, death is a friend. I'll come to that in a minute. Go ahead. I don't okay. want to give okay. anything away. No. Death is the enemy. Death is a part of life. Or death is the way to heaven.
0: Yeah, and many of those statements are true. Yeah. Uh, and begin, let's. So, A, death is a friend. That's a very. Play- that's Plato. <laughs> yeah. Get me out of this wicked body yeah. so I can go be a spirit and enjoy bliss and heaven and, yep. and only goodness and no more badness. Yeah. So that's purely Platonic, but a lot of people believe that way. See, mm-hmm. uh, death is a part of life. Well, true statement.
1: It is. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. Sin brought death. It's not the way we were created. It's not the original, so, yeah, not the original model. Yeah, It's not the beginning nor the ending. It's not an intended part of it. That's correct. you, yeah. you know, D, death is the way to heaven. Well, hmm. not necessarily true. Death, death gets you out of the body, right. but the way to heaven is Jesus Christ. Hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and through that relationship... Again, say it again, I'm connected to heaven right, right now. Right now. We've already tasted. So the right that. answer is B. In in Paul's writings, yeah. he said death is the enemy. Again, the great resurrection chapter is first Corinthians fifteen, yeah. where he talks about you know, this is the gospel and this is the resurrection, and if Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins, but now Christ is raised from the dead, and here's the five hundred witnesses who all collaborate to, 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 to you know to tell us this. When Paul writes in that chapter in verse 26, he says, the last enemy to be conquered is death. Yeah. So the one God used to write most of the New Testament said, your view of death should be, that's our enemy. Yeah. And, and again, death's already been defeated by Jesus mm. in the big scheme of things. Yeah. Because he rose, death has been conquered. Death ultimately has no hold on, on us. But yet in this temporary moment, death is still a reality for that's us. Right. At last, it will be crushed. That's right. And Christ has proved that to us. But we should view death not as a friend who's going to just, just, just let it go and go out into the universe. It's got a soft tunnel kind
1: of approach yeah, to death. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. E- Even Hinduism or Buddhism, you know, when your karma gets you to the point where then you the can die, you transition just yeah. transition into, into space and air and, and the creation, and you are at one with, with nature mm-hmm. in nirvana. Uh, That's definitely not what the Bible's teaching. Death is your enemy. And uh, the the goal of human beings is not to get out of this body so that I can go to heaven to live with Jesus for eternity. The story the Bible's telling is that the goal for humans is to get a new body, a glorious body, made like his incorruptible resurrection body. That's our ultimate goal. Not to live in heaven, to live on
2: earth. Or, or another way to say this: to be like disembodied spirits. You were, never, we were
0: never made right. to be disembodied spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humans were always made to be embodied. Spirits living in a body. Yeah. To be separated from the body, death, is very unnatural. Because otherwise,
1: God would have created Adam that way if that was the intention. A ghost,
0: mystical. Uh, sure. or, but a, he created him with a body. Created him with the bo- Matter of fact, he created the body before he created...
2: Before he breathed into
0: it. Right. Before he made him a living soul. Right. Mm-hmm. Created a body from the dust of the ground. Right. Breathed into him the breath of life. He made him a body and then animated the body with life. That's right. With the very breath of God.
2: And that's a holistic being and what it's always supposed to be. He
0: was a living soul. soul. Mm-hmm. Which is an embodied spirit. spirit. Yes, When the breath of God enlivens a body... When the body is animated through the life-giving power that God gave, he became a living soul. And the goal is not for us to run away to heaven. The goal is for us to be in a resurrected body on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heaven is not our end game here. Let's say it a different way. Heaven on Earth is our end game.
1: That's a whole different conversation. Right? It's, it's a different.
0: bigger conversation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... uh you know, when the Greek philosophers, like Plato, you're just talking about, when they talked about shedding the body, yeah. it's like a naked, you use this word naked. Uh, uh, Unclothed. Uh, in the body is being the clothes. Right. Yeah. I drop my flesh and the spirit rises to the next world. Uh, just that pure naked spirit going out there. Well, we can ask the people. When the philosophers yeah. saw yeah. the naked spirit, did, they, uh, did Paul see naked? You're talking about shedding your, your flesh mm-hmm. and going out into the wherever, heaven. Yeah. Did he see that as a positive and desirable spiritual condition, true or false?
1: It's a good
0: question. <laughs> well, he answers it. Yeah. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is false. For in this tent, again, he's talking about clothes, body. Yeah. Yeah. In this body we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwell, a resurrected body. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed.
2: Yeah. So you described as C.S. Lewis. A more human.
0: Yeah. It's not that I don't want a body. I want a better body. No. <laughs> Which leads to a whole another series of questions. <laughs> Will you have a better nose in the resurrection? <laughs> Will I have a tighter tush in the resurrection? Will I have a better abs in the resurrection? <laughs> Those are the questions we're curious about. Yeah, uh, there are no answers in the Bible. <laughs> there is no answer on if you have better abs and better nose in, in the resurrection body. We don't know the. It's not there. Yeah. So I can't answer that with any kind of scriptural authority at all. But I know that the resurrection body is a better body, right. and that's very clear from, from Paul's writings. So. Well, and I think. So
1: what is the goal, then, <laughs> right? Yeah
2: the the goal the goal is not to shed this body. I mean it's just it's just as clear as it can it can be. And I think that's that's the reason why death feels so uncomfortable.
1: Right,
0: because it does. Like you, you try to talk to death of, or about death with I'm anyone. I'm just saying for the record right now, close casket for me. <laughs> I want nobody staring, looking at me, old and shriveled up and embalmed, and y'all are all gonna come by and say, "Well, doesn't he look good? Doesn't he look natural?" There's nothing natural about that moment. I can't wait until you're. You know, until Play this I, at my funeral. I, I can't wait until the
1: playlist is at your funeral and I get to, I get to choose the
0: music. Uh, I prefer a closed casket. Yeah. Find a picture of when I was 20 years old and put it up. Oh, yeah. And remember me that way because when you see me again in my resurrected body, I'm going to be more alive than that. Yeah. I'm going to be more human than I ever was. Right. That's what God's promising me.
1: Well, this is again. This is why death is difficult to talk about, is because we think of death solely as a shriveled body, right? Something correct. that will rot away. It makes us uncomfortable because we we have a hard time, you know, imagining the soul being disconnected from the body because we are intrinsically, you know, connected. Death is unnatural. That is correct. It's awkward to talk about death. Is, you know, as Paul
0: mentioned, an enemy. And me say how we know that even further. Yeah. When you read Revelation, which you and I were studying just this week, and you see the souls under the altar right. crying out to God, How long, O oh Lord, until you avenge our blood upon those people who killed all of the Christians? Yeah. Listen, Christians are being massacred every day on planet Earth for their faith, in, for no other reason than they're believers. That's it. Mm-hmm. And those disembodied spirits are in heaven. Mm-hmm. Not saying, woo, it's so cool to be in heaven. We're having the time of our lives. Yeah. They're in heaven saying, when do we get a body?
1: Yeah, this is unnatural. <laughs> this this is, was not we, we want how our we were, bodies. Not how we were created or ever intended. Lord, how
0: long until you're going to return and raise the dead and give us new bodies? Right. We're ready to get on with the game. And God's saying, oh my goodness, you guys are wearing me out. All of you Christians in heaven. Listen, calm down. There's still some people who need to be born again.
1: Yeah. Well, be, that, be that just illuminates even further. The body and spirit were never meant to be separated from Correct. one another. In the same way, heaven and earth were never meant to be separated either. Correct. Right. It, we were always supposed to be in communion with God.
0: We were always supposed to be in His presence and, and so there with Him. When the Jews, we got to deal with the Old Testament now. Yeah. When the Jews saw this conundrum mm-hmm. that we were in now, they read the scriptures, and the Jews said. Okay, so here's what we understand. God will send someone, the Messiah, and he will make all things right. He will raise the dead, and he will fix this mess. Mm -hmm. Now, no one could talk really about detail about the resurrection or more detail about that. But this is what they were looking for. This was their understanding. God will send Messiah He will make all things right Right. because this world, they knew it was broken. They knew it was unnatural that something was not right.
1: Well, this is the answer that so many people texted in too. is God's redemptive plan for humanity. They knew that there was something coming that was going to set right what was wrong.
0: Correct. All right, so let's ask a question to the the congregation now. So what is of great importance about the resurrection narratives? Let's give them some choices. Yep. What are the resurrection narratives telling us? Right,
1: so there's there's a few options. One, they they could be telling us that Jesus is alive so that we can go to heaven someday. Okay. They tell us that the new creation has begun, therefore there is a job to do. Okay. They could tell us that Jesus is the third person of the Trinity. Indicates that he's God, yeah. Right. Or they could tell us that the present creation is destined to pass away.
0: And the right answer is B the resurrection narratives are saying Christ is risen and they knew the answer to the question. So what Mm -hmm. it's no mistake that he was crucified on Passover and became the sacrifice for our sins. It's no mistake that that Sunday morning happened to be the feast of first fruits. Mm -hmm. It's no mistake, not a coincidence because the scriptures then further say he has become not only our Passover lamb, but the first fruits of them, That slept. The feast of first fruits meant we're going to the temple to make an offering of the first grain. What it meant is, Lord, here is our offering of the first fruits. By giving this back to you, we trust the entire harvest will follow shortly. Mm -hmm. So, what they saw in the resurrected Christ was they said, Because he is raised from the dead, therefore we have a mission to do. We know that God wants us to do something because he is back. It's not just, he's back, okay, heaven's open, everyone go about your business, eventually we'll all die and get there. That was not their understanding, and you can see that by how it played out in the end of the Gospels flowing into the book of Acts. He said, tarry till you do with power from on high, and then go colonize planet Earth for heaven. Mm -hmm. Go make disciples of all night. Christ has returned, therefore you have a job to do. So, uh, I guess that's the shorting. Jesus in his resurrection was the first fruits of them that slept. Their interpretation of that was the new creation has begun. Yeah. Look, here is the first human being who was in a corruptible body like us, who was dead for a period of time, who is now raised in a new physical body, yeah. more human than we are, right. whatever that means, more genuinely what God wanted us to be from the beginning, and now he is the first of the new creation. Yeah. Now, yes, God did that for him, and we're waiting for that to happen to us. Yeah. But even while we're re- waiting, the new creation has already begun. Yeah. So what do we do with that? And there's something exactly. There's something. As, there's what is the something, something we're to be doing? So
2: uh, we got to go back to the word vocation. Yeah. We've got to go back to the word vocation. We've got to be like God and to do for him. Mm-hmm. Be like God and do whatever that is, whatever the for is, yeah. do for him. We're to reclaim our image-bearing role um, as those angled mirrors we keep talking about, where we
0: reflect. So you mean it matters how I live?
2: Absolutely, it matters how I live. And because does. I'm not just escaping this reality to go somewhere else one day. What I do here and now matters because God's going to honor that and, and reward that and transform that in the life to come.
0: Into eternal work somehow. Okay. That's right. What we're doing by living our lives for Christ has eternal implications somehow for planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And even though we may not have the language to explain all of that, that is how they interpreted the new reality of the risen Christ. He's risen, therefore, we are willing to lay down our lives to tell this story. Mm -hmm. We're willing to lay down our lives to go live this way. We're willing to lay down our lives to call Him Lord and not Caesar Lord. Because we, are, we see ourselves as citizens of heaven even though we're citizens of Philippi or, in our context, citizens of America. Something bigger is in play even than that. Uh, and again, a lot of people say, well, if you teach the doctrine of eternal security, then people will live in any terrible old fashion they want to live because mm-hmm. they know they're safe. Well, if you're truly born again, and this is part of what John said, you don't want to sin. You're ashamed of your sin. You can confess your sin, but sin is not a lifestyle for us to pursue.
2: There's actually a renewal in the way that you want to live that occurs as well. Not just your eternal station or position in front of God written on his scroll or whatever. Now that's true, but there's a new thing that's happening in you because you have his resurrection life renewing you, changing you, creating something new in you. My
0: thoughts, my desires, yeah. my actions.
2: All of it should begin to change.
0: It be, this is what Paul used the word transformation. We're being yeah. transformed right now. We are citizens of heaven right now. Yeah, We're connected to eternal life right now. Mm-hmm. You either have it or you don't. That's what John was saying. You have the son or you don't have the son. You either have eternal life right now or you don't. Yeah. And if you do, Heaven and earth have met already in us. God's kingdom has come. God's kingdom has come. Yeah. And my job is to expand God's kingdom. Lord, let it come more and more. Right. Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth. Lord, let your will be done in Fort Worth, in Texas, in the United yeah. States, and wherever we're reaching, Lord, let your will be done until the whole world is full of your glory. Yeah. Now we know we'll we know there's even bigger things happening. I mean, recreation is going to happen. Resurrection yeah. is going to happen. But when we understand how we fit into the story, this is our time. Yeah. It does matter how we live. Yeah. It does matter how we see ourselves as uh, angled mirrors, image bearers mm-hmm. of Almighty God. This, this is not only our destiny at some future point. It's our vocation right now. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it hints at the new world to come in the new creation. It hints in the bigger things that are coming. Again, I've never been enamored with the idea of sitting on a cloud. In a, with your harp? In a five, <laughs> with my naked bottom and wings for a million years singing psalms. It's, never, never, it's not even an appealing uh, metaphor or picture for me. What's appealing, I think, to most people is to understand that God made us architects and engineers, and songwriters, and artists, and illustrators, and teachers, and we have vocations, and we're to live through our vocation, the angled mirror. Listen, in in the world that is coming, in the full kingdom of God that's going to overtake earth, don't think we're going to be laying around under palm trees. I want to learn how to play piano. I'll teach you. Uh, see, that, that would be so and much. And that may, and that may take That's an amazing. eternity. Yeah. <laughs> and that may take an eternity. Yes, exactly. So, so uh, I guess the takeaway for today is this. Just Again, it's a lot of things yeah, to take yeah, in. It is. Um, and we'll talk about more, more of it over the next few weeks. For this week, the takeaway is simply this. You're, you're, you were initially created to be image bearers of God. Yeah. Accept that right now as your vocation. And figure out how that connects to being a school teacher or student or wherever it is you are in your life stage with your earthly vocation. Yeah. Merge that with your heavenly calling right. and realize that in the classroom or in the office or in the plant, you're, you're to be a reflection of God. And however you carry out your work, it reflects this good Judeo-Christian work ethic that built America actually that yeah. I'm describing right now. It reflects glory back to God. And our mission is bigger than just, okay, I'm going to go to heaven someday. No, heaven's coming to earth eventually. Right. They're going to merge again,
2: completely overlap.
0: Because the bookends of the Bible tell this story. Mm-hmm. He is the creator, it got really messed up. Yep. He had a plan to fix it, he is the recreator. And yeah. through his own death and resurrection, the new creation has already begun hasn't been brought to maturity yet, but it's already begun right now. And it's begun in us. Heaven is reconnecting with earth right now in us. So next week, let's talk about hotspots. I think it's a term that you understand what a hotspot is, where I can get the signal, where I can get the connection. And uh, talk about temples next week. Temples and hotspots. So so this week, this is huge, what we just talked about. What am I going to
2: do this week? with what, everything that we've just talked about? What, what's something I could read? What's something I could grasp onto to, to go do?
0: To. Yeah, I think, uh, well, we need, we need to understand what it looks like to be. So I, let's just use this. Way. I'm part of heaven on earth right now. Right. Okay. I'm not saying I've got it all together. It's not sure. what I'm saying again. Sure. I'm saying God is in me, yeah. and he wants me to live a certain way. The most concise place where this is articulated would probably be the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through... 5, 6, 7? Yeah, sure. So I think some good Bible reading this week would be Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you open the Bible and you begin to hear Jesus say, Blessed are the meek. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed... He starts talking to us about love your neighbor.
2: Don't be anxious for tomorrow.
0: God has got you. If I take care of planet Earth, don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Just relax. I've got you in my hands. And as you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, really embrace what it means to live that out.
2: That's how we now, are in the of mirrors. Yeah.
0: Now we're to be living that out. We're not waiting to get to heaven, right. and then God's going to automatically make me like this. Yeah. God's asking you to be like this, right? Let me make you like this right now. Yeah. Yeah. So if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, great devotional material for this week. Next week, hot spots. We'll leave zombies for a while and go to go to hot spots <laughs> and temples. But uh, if you have questions, you have the number text the questions. We'll try to address them over the next few weeks. Okay. Uh, as soon as we're finished here, children content, uh, uh, go live in a few minutes. We'll go yeah. live in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, let's pray together. May David, you close us in prayer. Ask God to help us now, empower us to live out a kingdom lifestyle this week. Yeah. Okay. All
2: right. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you that it is deep and uh, it 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 has so much more to say than little pithy sayings like just going to heaven when you die or whatever. There's a much deeper story that you're telling, a true story that from start to finish is all about the, the unification of heaven and earth. Your domain and our domain overlapping where we're fully in your presence, doing your will the way that you've asked us to and designed us to do it. And so this week, help us to bring more of heaven about in our lives as we pray the Lord's Prayer. And as we live out Matthew's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 this week, help us to to think practically about how we can make your kingdom come and your will be done in me and on earth as it is happening currently in heaven. We want to do your will. We want to be people who are like you, and we want to be transformed to become more like you. Help us this week to be those people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless
0: you. See you next week.